Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everyone and welcome into this episode of La Liga Lowdown to our Match Day 14 recap. I'm your host, Yumi Tier, and as always, we're proud to have this episode rebroadcast on Series XMFC 157. Now this was really a great weekend of football, 29 goals across La Liga in total, which is fantastic because La Liga and Santander were donating €1,000 to Spanish food banks for every goal scored. Four of them came at the Camp Nou, where Barcelona drew 2-2 with Valencia, and that's where we're going to start. It was a very Uruguayan game, because there was a Uruguayan influence at each of the four goals. First, Antoine Griezmann, who thinks he's Uruguayan, lost Diacabi for Valencia's opener at a corner kick. Then Griezmann won a penalty that Messi equalised from, not from the attempt itself, but with a header after the breakdown. Then, in the second half, two actual Uruguayans scored, as Ronald Araujo struck his first pass of the goal and as Maxi Gomez equalised. To discuss it all, let's bring in a resident Valencia fan and Ronald Koeman um, expert, Paco Pollitt. This Paco was a game that either side could have won, but neither team did. Both Barcelona and Valencia probably go home frustrated from this, right? I really don't want to anger Barca fans and sound biased, but I sincerely believe Valencia had the most chances to win this one. There are a number of chances in the first half which were outrageously easy to turn into goals, but Valencia's lack of finishing quality ruined their chances. It was almost a comedy in the making, just see the way Sheryshev, Junus Musa, Gaya and Maxi Gomez prevented each other from properly slotting in their finish around the 25-minute mark. Barca's frustration might come from the fact that they actually did the most difficult thing, turning around the game thanks to a messy goal and an incredible Araujo volley. But their defense is just horrendous, and we saw it in the flesh in just the way Mingueza foolishly allowed Maxi Gomez to sneak ahead and slot in the cross by Jose Luis Gaya. Overall, in a duel of two struggling teams, the draw can arguably be seen as fair, but Valencia fans might be more angered because of the lost opportunity. Valencia fans, though, at least some of them must be happy at taking some valuable points off Ronald Koeman. 
As everyone knows by this point, the memories of Ronald Koeman's season in Valencia 12 years ago aren't exactly feel-good moments for the fans, who had to endure a big chunk of shameful performances and the danger of getting relegated with one of the best squads in this whole century. Remember, that was a team with David Villa, David Silva, Juan Mata, Joaquin, Vicente, Morientes, Albelda, Baraja, Albiol. So there's an obvious satisfaction after the way Valencia played this weekend against Barca. Even though Kuman's sour aftertaste hasn't really left that much of a mark and most fans just try to ignore his few months in Valencia's dugout. But it seems Ronald Kuman himself doesn't forget that easily, as he once again generated quite a stir in the press conference before the game, talking about the new role of David Albelda and Santi Cañizares as TV pundits. Remember that back in 2014, David Albelda used his own Twitter account to wish that Ronald Kuman would sign for Barcelona because, quote, that would balance the competition quite a bit, end quote. So far, the former Valencia legend hasn't been proven wrong. Yeah, exactly. And what did you think about Cummins' tactics in this game? It seemed to me he made some strange decisions. You know, Kuman is a strange manager overall. His reliance on the Dutch classic 4-3-3 is sometimes too restrictive on some of the players, funneling the attacking plays on the center as Messi's falsely placed on the right, even though in real life he enjoys an absolute freedom of movement. Antoine Griezmann's poor performance this season, I believe, is also related to some extent to not being properly placed in the pitch by the coach. It's true that the injuries just keep piling up, and the weakness of the defense can be blamed on having to play two youngsters as Ronald Araujo and Mingueza. But from the midfield onwards, the team just lacks originality, speed and creativity to seriously harm the opposition. The comparison can be made to handball, for example. Barca moved the ball around Valencia's box too much and too slowly. So Javi Gracias men just had to be disciplined, shut any potential openings and see how Barca failed to generate anything positive. Talk to me, Paco, about that Gaia Griezmann penalty incident. What did you make of that decision there? I surely don't want to run away from the controversy, but in my view, the play is so, so dubious that at this point I can understand both points of view. Barca fans see a pen, Valencia fans see that Gaia didn't do anything wrong to bring down Antoine Griezmann inside the box. However, I have to say that the referee was right not sending Gaia off the pitch because a red would have been incredibly unfair on the defender in such a fuzzy play. The drama actually for Valencia is that Jaume Domenech managed to save Messi's shot, but their defending was absolutely horrible and the ball ended in an easy header for Barca's number 10 after narrowly avoiding being in offside position. Yeah, a Messi goal that was a 643rd for Barcelona, matching Pele's record for goals with one club that he set back in the day with Santos. Incredible stuff, that. Now, finally, Paco, just in general, why do you think it is that Valencia can play so well against teams like Barcelona, Real Madrid, Real Sociedad, but then they can drop points against Eibar, Alaves, Elche and almost get eliminated in the Copa del Rey by a Tercera division side like Terrassa? Is it a motivational issue? Definitely not a motivational issue. 
You know, the biggest drama for Valencia and their fans this season can be extrapolated from the 14 games played to date. The fixture against Barca was an excellent summary. Valencia are young. Valencia are an unexperienced lot, strapped from most of the quality players this summer, with zero signings to replace them and with plenty of youth academy players such as Yunus Musa or Urad Rasi trying to do a good job. Therefore, they are you know, a coin toss of a team. They are capable of the best and capable of the worst. But their attitude is always spot on in every single game. They have heart, they have guts, they have the drive to improve, but they lack quality and experience. And that's why fans are so frustrated and should be even further with the management with Meriton Holdings and with Peter Lim, with only a few signings, you know, here and there, or maybe having not sold all of the key players last summer, Valencia would be much higher in their standings instead of fighting for the life and flirting with the last spots of the table. Yeah, Valencia still down near the bottom, but an impressive performance this weekend. Okay, thanks for that, Paco. So that was what happened between Barcelona and Valencia. Let's move right to the top of the table now with our sore throat game of the week. And here comes Alex Brotherton to bring us some of the best commentary clips from Atletico Madrid's 3-1 victory over Elche. Atletico Madrid versus Elche provided a lively start to Saturday's La Liga action, with goals, controversy and talking points aplenty at the Wanda Metropolitano. Given the team's positions at opposite ends of the table, it was actually a closer contest than many would have expected. When Luis Suarez went down in the box less than three minutes in, it looked like it was going to be a long afternoon for Elche. Fortunately for them, VAR overturned the penalty call for a marginal offside, but just before half-time, the Uruguayan did get his goal. Suarez nipped in front of his man to add the deftest of touches to a teasing Kieran Trippier cross, a fitting way to mark his 200th La Liga appearance. The Cadena Cope commentator certainly enjoyed it, exclaiming, Gol de Lida, meaning goal for the league leaders. Having ended a three-game goalless run, Suarez went and added another after half-time, tapping home at the back post from another wonderful cross, this time provided by Yannick Carrasco. But Elche were far from out of it. They continued to press Atleti and got their just reward when Lucas Boyer pulled one back through a well-worked corner routine. The Elche number 9 then almost completed an unlikely comeback, turning well and firing off a low volley, but Jan Oblak got down well at his near post. The moment of controversy came with 10 minutes to go, when Diego Costa, returning from injury as a sub, collapsed in the box after the slightest bit of contact from a high boot. To the bewilderment of the visiting side, as well as the La Liga TV commentators, Xavier Estrada pointed to the spot and Costa duly converted. A flick on here from Correa and down goes Diego Costa and a penalty's being given and look at the reaction of the Elche yeah. players cannot believe 
that that is the decision. It will be reviewed, of course, and, well, that's exactly what I said a minute ago. Yeah. If Diego Costa was diving there, as but the Elche players clearly believe, hopefully that will be picked up on now. Then the penalty standing, I can only assume because the referee... When the VAR official had judged it was a high foot and therefore dangerous, but My word. Costa won that penalty, I think we can say, and now he's going to take it. Can he beat Edgar Badia? Yes, he can. In the dying moments, Elche's legendary 40-year-old striker Nino went close to equalising and becoming the Liga's oldest ever goalscorer, but his header was well blocked. The 3-1 win strengthens Atleti's hold on top spot, particularly as Real Sociedad went on to drop points later in the day. Elche will feel aggrieved by the penalty decision, which came when they looked a good bet to equalise. They're now just a point above the relegation zone, although they do have a game in hand on most of their rivals. Thanks, Alex. So yes, Atletico Madrid stayed top of the table, but they're just taking it partido a partido, game by game. That's always been the mentality, and here's Kevin Trippier talking about exactly that after the match, and also about how he still thinks the first goal might be his. No, Luis, you know, soon as he arrived, you know, he's a big player. Um, and for us, you know, any opportunity that he gets, he scores. Uh, but I think the first goal today, I think it was my goal. <laughs> no, he say he touched, but no, he's fantastic. You know, throughout his career, um, he's a world-class striker. It's a long way now till the end of the season, but... We just want to go um, into every single game with the winning mentality and we just take it game at a time. That brings us then to the end of the first half of this Match Day 14 recap. There's still plenty more to come, of course, and we'll get into the rest of the round's action after this short break. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello. 
Hello everyone and welcome back in to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We've still got so much to cover, such as Real Madrid's win at Ibar, Hitafi getting back to winning ways and so much more. But we'll start at the top of the table where Real Sofidad are no longer joint leaders. They fell to a 2-1 defeat at Levante to make it eight matches now across all competitions without a win for La Real. I'll be honest though, this isn't that surprising. This is inevitable. I say it every time that Real Sofidad start to do well. Just wait for the injuries. In each of the past three seasons, Real Sofidad have been in the top three for the most matches missed by players through injury. This year, they've already had 19 players who've been on the injury report, many of them for several weeks. For the next match, their midweek game against Atletico Madrid, they have 10 first-team players who are either doubtful or already ruled out. I don't know what it is, but this is a squad that just habitually suffers injuries and it's hurting them again. Credit though to Levante for this win. It wasn't just because of Real Sofidad's injuries, of course. Levante were very good too, and they've really turned a corner in the last few weeks. Ruri Barlow wrote a piece on LaLigaLowdown.com last week on the interesting dynamics at Levante, and that's well worth checking out. There's a lot more content on our website too if you're looking for some Christmas lockdown reading material. Let's move on now to Real Madrid, who are joint top with Atletico Madrid on 29 points, even if they've played two games more. They went away to Ibar this weekend, and they were absolutely cruising after early goals from Karim Benzema and Luka Modric. They were nice goals, but an even better strike from Kiki Garcia pulled Ibar back into the tie. They really went for it in the second half and even had a handball penalty claim against Sergio Ramos. It wasn't given. And then Lucas Vazquez was able to add a late third to make it a 3-1 Real Madrid win. Let's bring in Hassan Karim, our Real Madrid man now. Now, be honest, Hass. After 15 minutes, what did you think the final score was going to be? Surely you didn't expect Real Madrid to be clinging on at the end. Boy, oh boy, that was very stressful, wasn't it? Um... Yeah, it was champagne football for those opening bits. Really actually thought they were just going to absolutely run away with it, given how they were playing. It was f- perfectly flowing. They were escaping A-bar's press with ease. Just everything was everything was so, like, really well done um, and so clean. Like, they were just dancing out of pressure. It's like, it's, it's probably the best football I've seen from Real so far this season. Um, so, given how that started and then how it progressed... Yeah, I didn't expect them to be clinging on for dear life like they were at the end. That was that was really stressful to watch at times. Stressful because it was a super Kiki Garcia goal to pull one back from Eibar. And two really nice goals from Real Madrid too. I mean, this was just a quality game, wasn't it? Both teams were just really, really impressive throughout most of the game. I mean, Ibar, you know, and it's credit credit to Mandelibar, you know, a lot of people probably attacked him for thinking leaving that much space for Real Madrid is a very ballsy move. Um, but it's something you have to respect. He's literally willing to die on that hill. He won't he won't play the pragmatic sit back and wait for a, a chance to counter-attack. He plays that wonderful football and is brave. Um, so at the end of the day, yeah, it just this was a little advert for how good La Liga can be at its very best absolutely this is exactly the best sort of level that we can expect from Spanish football and you know for anyone who maybe doesn't watch it all that often if I was to give them a game from the season to watch this would definitely be up there for quality completely agree with you there once again Has Zidane hardly rotated and it was the same stars of the past few weeks Benzema, Modric, Lucas who got the goals 
What are your thoughts on Zidane's new attitude towards rotation where he basically doesn't do it anymore? Once again, Zidane keeping that mysterious aura about him. You just never know what's coming from that man. Um, he either makes a hell of a load of rotations or now this current trend seems to be making none at all. Um, I mean, it doesn't look like the team is suffering from it too much. I mean, it's something I've been worried about consistently is, you know, the schedule and how packed it is. Um, so, you know, when you're seeing, especially the older stars like Benzema and Modric, um, you know, playing week in, week out, you do start to wonder how long is it before, you know, the wheels may or come off, you know, touch what they don't, of course. Um, but it's interesting to see that. But I think a lot of that is down to the fact that, you know, a lot of the players that he probably wants to implement aren't quite fully firing yet. Fede Valverde is only just returned from injury. Martin Odegaard also has just returned from injury. Eden Hazard is training again, but again, only just returned from injury. So you don't want to throw those guys into games where there's a risk of reoccurrence. I mean, there was... I think 11 fouls from Ibar in this game, so it definitely was a rugged affair alongside that. So maybe it's more of a precautionary tale than anything else. Who knows with Zidane that we never do know. What we do know is it's five wins in a row now for Real Madrid. Do you think they can keep this momentum going like they did, remember, with the 10 post-lockdown wins in a row after the return in the summer? This is Real Madrid through and through, uh, especially under Zinedine Zidane both in his first uh, run as manager and in his second one as well. Um, they're typically slow starters. They are very slow starters. And it's, so it's something we've commonly seen throughout seasons. Whereas as it gets to around the turn of the year, it seems they seem to pick up and really get their thing going. And I think that's what's going on now. We're starting to see Real Madrid click into gear and start to get going. Um, and whether they can carry on this momentum, it all comes down to how fit the squad can remain. I think Real have had so far near enough as many injuries this season as they scored goals, which is quite a mental stat in itself. So that gives you a rough picture of why it's been so spluttery up until this point. So I think now that Zidane's finally getting the pieces back together, we'll start to see some more consistency, at least I hope. Okay, thanks, Haas. We're going to stick with Real Madrid for a moment now. Just like last week, we've got another listener question from one of our top fans this week is Rovshan and the question is with everything he's achieved in his short managerial career when will Zidane get the respect he deserves? Many people are pundits call him just a man manager but surely you need to have tactical ideas as well in order to win so many trophies. To answer this we've got Roman de Arquer he's a Barcelona fan of course but let's see if even he can give Zidane the respect he surely deserves. What do you think Roman? It is surprising that some people still doubt Zidane. I mean, uh, all the titles he's won speak for themselves. You know, his curriculum is, is immaculate at Real Madrid. And he's not just won a few cups or by chance or anything like that. Like that, sorry. He's won three consecutive Champions Leagues. I mean, how many managers can say that? He's also won uh, Spanish Leagues. He's won international trophies. I mean, it's, it's amazing what he's done at Real Madrid so far. And... It is surprising, honestly, that people still doubt him. To be honest, it is true that he said personally in a press conference that for him it's more important to manage the players than it is to focus on the tactics. But we know that football nowadays is really, really uh, well worked in the sense that 
everything is studied to the minimum detail to the minimum aspect so of course tactics have to come in you can't just win with a bunch of quality players or a bunch of motivated guys no you need a lot more than that so definitely Zidane does his job in his office and then make sure the players uh, implement all the ideas he provides and he boosts all that tactical work by getting the most out of his players psychologically and physically so that's why Real Madrid are always an extremely hungry club no matter how much they win they always have that mentality to get more and more and more so Zidane definitely deserves credit his job uh, at the club has been fantastic and it is still very surprising that people doubt uh, his tactical and his managerial abilities Okay, thanks Roman and thanks Rovshan for the question. Let's look through some of the weekend's other scores now. Villarreal kept up their top four hopes with a 3-1 win away at Osasuna on Saturday. They were massively helped by a 20th minute Aridani Hernandez red card, but to be honest, they'd been in the driving seat at that point anyway. Sevilla couldn't keep up as they were held to a 1-1 draw at home to Real Valladolid when they played on Saturday. It was Raul Carnero who got the late equaliser for a real wide lead and wow what a goal that was seek that one out if you haven't seen it already on Sunday Celta Vigo got the action going with another victory this time 2-0 over Alaves Iago Aspas was the driving force and Braze Mendes was the finisher scoring both the goals it means that it's now 5 wins from 6 to start the Eduardo Cudet era at the club Celta yeah they're looking scary once again so too are Granada who've overcome their mini-slump in form. They won an Andalusian derby at home to Real Betis 2-0 with Roberto Soldado scoring both the goals in the first half, the first of them from the penalty spot. Then we also saw Hidafi win 2-0 away at Cadiz. Their first La Liga victory since beating Barcelona all the way back on October 17th. They did also win in the Copa del Rey midweek away at Anaitasuna, but I was at that game and I can tell you Hidafi were awful. But here, they were much better, as Kucho and Maksimovic fired them to victory. Now, we're going to finish this weekend's episode by discussing a team that we've not actually spoken about too much this season. They've been floating around in mid-table purgatory. They're the only team currently with a goal difference of exactly zero, so they might be the most average side in the division, but it's a special club. It's a historic club. It's a well-supported club. It's Athletic Club. So here's Athletic fan and journalist Benyak Gutierrez to talk about what's going on in Bilbao, where Athletic earned a fairly unconvincing 2-0 win over Huesca on Friday night. What did you make of that performance, Benyak? Not the result, but the performance. The victory against Huesca on Friday was good news for Athletic because after that defeat against Real Madrid, they are able to avoid trouble in the table. But from a performance point of view, it was again a very poor game for Athletic. Both goals came really late in the game against a struggling rival like Huesca. And it is true that Athletic improved in the second half but still wasn't enough. Huesca was able to dismantle completely Athletic's offensive scheme just with putting a guy on Muniain, and that was the extent of offensive ideas for Athletic. And if you look at the result, in the end, it seems like everything was about luck, because Codro, a player who had a chance just because Villalibre got injured, was the guy who ended up changing the game completely. 
a player, let's remember that barely comes for Garitano, who's been claiming that the squad lacks of strikers. Yeah, they've really been lacking a reliable goal scorer right now, even after they've played 14 matches. They don't have a single player with more than two goals. How can they solve that? Do they need to sign someone in January? It's true that Athletic is struggling to score goals this season, but I don't think there's any name in the market that can solve this situation. Fans, and even Garitano, have made an easy target of Athletic strikers, but this is a more complex issue. The main problem for Athletic right now is that they don't create goal chances. I read that since the game against Betis, the team has spent a total of three hours without shooting on target in San Mames. That's the season in a nutshell for Athletic. So if Garitano wants goals, he needs to take more risk and needs to trust players like Villalibre, who have the potential to score regularly. If not, get ready for more headlines with the name Llorente on them. Mm, yeah, Llorente, I think, will just be permanently linked with a return. So overall, it's been a very mixed season for Athletic Club. They've not been able to win two matches in a row. You touched on some of the issues there, but... Just what's the main problem with this team? Adelde has many problems this year, including a blatant lack of ambition that starts in the bench. There were several moments during the season when Athletic seemed just happy enough with a draw. With that attitude and with the problems Athletic has to score, you're not going to win many games. Some weeks ago, Garitano made highly controversial statements when he said that the team didn't have the potential to win two games on a row. And this obviously really outraged Athletic supporters. But it's not that the whole season has been a disaster. There have been games, or halves at least, when Athletic has improved. When they were playing um, two strikers, when they were playing more creative midfielders, and with those solutions, the team looked better. But after that, almost in a case of self-boycott, Garitano kept going over and over again to his A plan that is not working this year. It's been two years now since Garitano took over. I mean, he managed to save the club from potential relegation that first year and he's led them to a Copa del Rey final. But what's the current view of Garitano and Bobal? For a lot of supporters, Garitano is a dead man walking, and it's all about when he's gonna be fired. I've even seen supporters who were hoping for a defeat so the Garitano era will come to an end. He saved two match balls, two ultimatums against Betis and Huesca, and he seems to have Bear Grylls level survival skills. The team improves just enough to keep him on the bench, but nothing else. People still thankful for what he did when he saved the season for the club and also for reaching the Copa del Rey final, but even then there were voices raising concerns about his suitability for Athletics project. Now I feel that the relationship with the supporters has reached the point of no return. It's hard to imagine scenarios where Garitano can regain the confidence of the supporters. Lastly, what's your view on the Supercopa? It's a little strange that it will take place before the Copa del Rey final, but this is a chance for Athletic to compete for a rare trophy and it's a chance to, I don't know, to just get excited about something in what has been a fairly dull season overall for the club. Are the fans of Bobal excited about the Supercopa? 
I don't hear a lot of conversations about Supercopa these days, actually. Supporters are very concerned about how the team is playing in La Liga, about whether young players are getting chances or not, and about next weekend's members' assembly, where the board needs to get the budget approved. I'm pretty sure that there are still some supporters who don't know when the Supercopa is. But that said, I'm sure everybody will be excited for the tournament with those memories of that glorious victory in the Supercopa against Barcelona. And it's also quite a bizarre situation for Athletic because the performance in the season is pretty poor, but they are three games away of winning two titles. I guess that's why we love football. Absolutely, Bignac. That's why we love this game. And, well, there's plenty more football for us to enjoy in this coming midweek on Tuesday night and Wednesday night. We have a full round of La Liga games. And, of course, we'll have a matchday recap podcast for you after that. It'll be coming out on Thursday morning. A nice little Christmas Eve treat for everyone. For now, my thanks to everyone who contributed to this episode. That's Paco Pollitt, Alex Brotherton, Hassan Karim, Roman de Arker, and Benyak Gutierrez have been your host, Jumit Tier. We'll be back in just a few days. For now, thanks a lot for listening to this one. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.